And uh, listen, I, I'm in a, a good mood today. We had an extra half hour to sleep in, one 10 o'clock service. It rained, it didn't snow, so we're not inundated with snow. The choir sang one of my favorite hymns. This is a good day, so because of that, I'd like to just grant you one wish that you have on your heart right now. So I want you to think about it. At the count of three, I'd like you just to shout that wish. This week, something that you would like to have happen. On the count of three, just say that as loud as you could. can. Ready? One, two, three. Great. <laughs> somebody just, somebody says, ah. Okay, I, I didn't quite get on that. Try it again. One, two, three. You know, I just can't understand when all of you are asking at the same time, what is it that I need to do for each one of you? And I wonder if God feels that same way when all of us find ourselves praying at the same time, asking for a blessing or a healing or rejoicing. How in the world does God hear us? Do we need to pray louder? Do we need to pray longer? Do we need to pray more intense? How is it that God would hear each of us when all of us are asking at the same time? To answer that, I think I need to pray. So let me do that. Gracious Heavenly Father, I'm not sure we get it. I'm not sure we can comprehend this thing about prayer. So open our minds and our hearts to your Holy Spirit and to your word in such a way that we would leave here more confident in your presence in our lives and uh, that we have your ear, we have your heart, and that you have us. If there would be anything that would uh, hinder us seeing that or knowing that, we pray you would remove it. For we've come to sit at the feet of Jesus, to be taught by your Holy Spirit, to become more like Jesus. And we pray these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. The disciples saw Jesus do many things, but only asked him one question. Only one, how did you do that? How do you do that? It's not changing water into wine. It's not feeding 5,000 off of a, a little sack lunch. It's not healing the blind or curing the lame or raising the dead. It was teach us to talk to God like you talk to God. Teach us how to pray. Teach us, uh, help us to understand what this prayer thing is supposed to be like. And with uh, 66 words, Jesus taught them and us how to communicate with God. Now, two things that I want to say from the outset. The first is I don't believe he gave us the Lord's Prayer, and it's both in, in the Gospel of Luke and Matthew as he answers this question. I don't think he gave us these words to be memorized and to be 
he said as a magical incantation to get him to do something we want him to do. Now, as a child, I was taught to memorize the Lord's Prayer. And I imagine if push came to shove, most of us in here could say the Lord's Prayer. It's the most famous prayer in all the world. I was taught to say it, and I was taught to say it in such a way. And, and we, in my tradition growing up, we had a rosary. And in order to go out and play, you had to get through the rosary. And so you learned how to pray really fast. <laughs> I can do the Lord's Prayer in seven seconds. <laughs> seven seconds. I get our Father and our heaven, I will be in thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth. Give us this our daily bread and forgive us our sins. And we forgive those who sin against us and forgive us. Lead us not into temptation. Amen. Okay. And I spent most of my young life talking to God in that way. I memorized it. It's like how many of us, it was how many years did it take to understand that L-M-N-O-P is not one letter <laughs> when you say the alphabet. L-M-N-O-P, Q-R-S, T-U-V. You know, when you slow down, you understand that there's meaning to these words. The second thing is I don't think Jesus gave us a routine prayer, but he wanted to lead the disciples in a routine of prayer. I think there's some great principles that we need to know as we pray the Lord's Prayer. I think the words are powerful, just seeing them move my heart, just as you concentrate. But hear what Jesus taught in Matthew Chapter 6, verse 9, he's on the Sermon on the Mount. Pray then like this, he tells his disciples. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. Now, last week, we took a, we, a, a whole Sunday to look at the first two words, our Father, and understand the intimacy and tenderness of those words. This day, I would like us to look at the words, who art in heaven. Now, when we pray, who art in heaven, that, I think, makes prayer a little weird because we are praying to someone that we can't see or touch or smell or readily sometimes even hear. It seems like when we pray to this one who art in heaven, heaven says that we're distant and because we're distant, it feels like we're just praying into the thin air. Someone wrote, and there are index cards in the pew, and, and those are for you to write questions that you have about prayer, and you can put them in the offering box that's outside this door following the service. 
but I asked last week if is there a question that you would have that maybe we could address as we go through this teaching on the Lord's Prayer. And the question is, does God really care about day-to-day -day decisions that we make? Every little decision, does God care about those decisions? That was part of the question. And part of the understanding is, does the one way out there really care and is interested in what happens right down here? Is the one, does the one out there in heaven care about the decisions that are made down here? Well, how do you picture God listening to your prayers? Does he sit at a big switchboard as like one of those operators of old plugging in and unplugging as people make prayer requests? Coming in with the desperate prayers, the immediate prayers that have to be answered. Does he sit there, the, it lights up, your light lights up and he plugs in. How do you picture God hearing you? How attentive is he? And how does he keep them straight? And is he ever overwhelmed by our prayers? As we have people who pray at the same time, I I'm thinking about maybe what was it like on 9-11? As the towers are coming down on some almost 2,900 people and the prayers are going up from those in the towers and those around. What does God do when he's flooded with prayers at the same time? It's a great question. It's a puzzling question. Well, to help us kind of think through what God might do or might not is the movie Bruce Almighty. If you remember years ago, Bruce Almighty, Bruce thinks that he can do a better job than God. And so God gives him the responsibility of being God and answering people's prayer. And it goes like this. Well, you took the job, Bruce, so I suggest you get to it. Prayers, prayers, okay, prayers. Uh... This creepy whisper thing has to end. Organization and management. That's what I need. I need a system, something concrete. Concentrate. Files. Let all prayers be organized into files. Well, that takes care of the voices. Not exactly a space saver, though. Grace might notice. I don't. Prayer post-its! Let's no mess. Downloading now. 
It's good. It's good. This is gonna take a while. One million five hundred twenty-seven thousand five hundred and three prayer requests. I better manifest some coffee. Now that's fresh mountain grown coffee from the hills of Colombia. children and picked up two more along the way and uh, you know the needs that they have are overwhelming and and each one specific and you can get worn out how does God do this well I think key to understanding how God can accomplish this is this second phrase of the Lord's prayer and it is who art in heaven our Father who art in heaven. But here's the surprise. If you look this up in the Greek, you will find that the word heaven is plural. The Lord's Prayer actually says, Our Father who art in the heavens. And the idea is that back in the day, they saw creation as three heavens. There is the heaven that exists that we experience here on earth with each other. There is the heaven that is kind of the cosmos, the sky, the clouds above us. And then above all of that is called a third heaven. And that's where God dwells. And here is Paul's explanation that he was caught up in that third heaven. In 2 Corinthians 12, it says this, Paul writes, I know a man, he's speaking of himself, in Christ, who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I, I don't know, God knows. I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows. 
and he heard things that cannot be told which a man may not utter. He's saying, I don't know whether it was a dream or I actually was physically there, but I was in the presence of God in this third heaven. And what, I, what I'd love to share, I can't share. I can't even utter. God exists in this third heaven. Isaiah tells us this in six, chapter 66. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. So that gives us a little perspective. God exists in heaven and he rests his feet on the earth. What is the house that you would build for me? And what is the place of my rest? All these things, everything you see, my hands have made. And so all these things came to be through me, declares the Lord. I am bigger than everything that I have made. The theological word for this, we learned self-control in the children's message. The, the theological word for this is transcendence. God is transcendent. It means that God is other, different, outside, extending beyond our experience. So to understand God, we need to understand he is outside, beyond all of our experiences. He is independent from us and, uh, um, and different. In 1 Kings, God's right, but God will indeed, will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less this house that I have built. This is Solomon. He built the temple and they're celebrating their wonderful achievement. And then Solomon all of a sudden comes to the realization, well, wait a minute. How could you ever be contained in a place you are above the highest heavens. It cannot contain you. Psalm 113, 4 to 6. The Lord is high above all nations and his glory above all the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God who is seated on high, who looks down on, he looks down on the heavens and the earth. He looks down on the, on the other two heavens and the earth. You see, God's transcendence is what makes God, God. It puts him above all there is. And if he's above all there is and outside of all there is, and this is going to burn a couple of brain cells in here, means that he is outside of time. You and I live in a linear fashion of time, God being in the heavens is outside of time. He sees the beginning and the end at the same time. Now that will blow your mind unless you think about maybe the parade on the 4th of July in Upper Arlington. <laughs> Weeks before, months before that parade happens, there are lawn chairs chained to trees in people's yards because they want to have a front row seat to the parade. They want to be right there where the action is. And as the parade goes by, they celebrate what is happening in the parade as it goes by. But 
If you were in a helicopter, if you removed yourself from Lane Avenue and you were in a helicopter, you would see the beginning of the parade and the middle of the parade and the end of the parade at the same time because you are outside your limited view of being on the street in the linear progression. What the Bible is saying with God in the third heaven is that he is outside of time. And so there is no time. Everything is at the present at the same time. Now, as wonderful as that is, that would raise a question. Does that mean that he hears all prayers of all time at the same time, which is even more mind-boggling? But to be transcendent, he is not bound by time. One smarter than me, one named C.S. Lewis, said this about God. Almost certainly, God is not in time. His life does not consist of moments following one another. If a million people are praying to him at 10.30 tonight, he need not listen to them all at that one little snippet which we call 10.30. 10.30 and every other moment from the beginning of the world is always the present for him. Okay. Philip Yancey, a Presbyterian author who is... Uh, an amazing author wrote, a being as big as the universe would experience all time in history at the same moment. So attending to seven billion prayers at once would be no problem for such a God. To grasp this, do you know we've actually grasped and understood this without thinking about it? Because If Christ on the cross died for all of our sins, how many did he die for? All of them. Past, present, and future. For all of those who put their faith in Jesus, past, present, and future. When Jesus was on the cross and he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? At that moment, we understand Jesus becomes sin, our sin, in his life, and we get his righteousness. At that moment, he had to take on all the sin of the world, past, present, and future, at the same time. Have you ever thought about what that would take? I mean, my sins alone would take several hours to go through. But all of us, at the same time, he paid the penalty. He carried that weight at the same time for all of history. God has been doing this for a long, long time. So, we have our Father who art in the heavens, who knows everything 
because he's transcendent. So it begs the question, being transcendent and knowing everything of all people for all times, how does that work on being personal for you and me right here? Well, there's another theological term that is the opposite in some ways of transcendence, but it's imminence. And imminence is the theological understanding that the God who is out there is intimately involved in every molecule of his creation down here. Now, how do we know that that's true? That would make him omnipresent and would make him um, the fact that he would know us personally. Isaiah 57 says this, For thus says the one who is on high, who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high holy place, comma, and, so we have transcendent, and, look at this, and also with him slash her, who is of a contrite and lowly spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. In that sentence, God is saying, I am transcendent above all, outside of all, but I am intimately aware of even down to the most lowly. I am imminent. I know you. I love the Isaiah passage, Isaiah 40. Lift up your eyes and see it. He's, he's saying, lift up your eyes and see the billions of stars at night. See who created these. He who brings out their story, hosts by number, calling them by name. I know the name of every star. By the greatness of his might and because he is strong in power, not one star is missing. Not one star doesn't have a name. And if you look at the billions and billions of stars, and as the new telescopes show us billions and billions and billions more, more than people that inhabit the planet, and God knows those stars by name, he knows us by name. In fact, Jesus says, I, my sheep hear my voice, and I know each one. All our days are numbered. Even before we have a thought or a word on our tongue, God knows it. You go before me and behind me. You lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful to, for me, David writes. I cannot contain it. Where could I go from your spirit? There's nowhere that I can go to not be in your presence, and you know me by name. So the question is, do we matter? God's word. God says you absolutely matter. As I know and name the billions of stars, I know you. And so we pray, God, you are in the heavens. You are sovereign and big and incredible. And you know my, the hairs on my head are numbered. 
and I get to call you daddy, our father. I get to have an intimate conversation because you know me and have named me as you have named the stars. Now, the second question from last week was this. Communicating with God gives and uh, implies a give and take relationship. And the question is, how do we hear God? How do we listen? Well, I, I, I'll give you an example. When you go to a restaurant, watch the people in the next table over. They are present with each other, but they're looking at their phones. <laughs> and they're looking at their food. And they're not looking up to the presence of the one that is there. So communication is not about proximity. I've just told you that the God who is there knows you right here. But even in that proximity, you and I must take time to acknowledge his presence his intimate, imminent presence with you. Christmas, God says, you've been called me Emmanuel because I am with you. By faith in Jesus Christ, we have the Holy Spirit within us. If you want to hear God, all you have to do is pay attention to the God who is present in your very life always. Put down the distractions. Listen because he speaks. He also has given you his word. And the more that you are in his word, the more you will hear his voice. Because through the presence of the Holy Spirit, God speaks to us through these words. I am so grateful that the choir sang, I was there for your born and cry. And Mike is right, long before we were born, the Lord knows us. But what that song says is that at every step along your life, I have been there. I am with you. I am intimately involved in your life and I am intimately designed for this relationship to be real every moment of every day. The one who is in the heavens is our Father who is imminent in our lives. That's what Jesus wants you think about that. Amen. Pray with me. Forgive us, Lord, for setting you aside, thinking you too busy. And the fact that we say you're in the heavens, we didn't know that that meant that you're in this heaven, in my life, in my surroundings interested in everything 
with a plan and purpose for each of our lives. And if there's anyone here who does not know you, that you are some distant thought, may they invite you in. And may they be attentive to your voice and your word in such a way that they, like the rest of us, would experience you every moment of every day. Oh, dear God, who art in the heavens, thank you that you are our intimate, loving, imminent Father. In your son's name we pray. Amen.